0: Real life. real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real. With another edition of Think About It. Real Life Messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. I mean, this one little verse in this little book is a verse that changed the world. Because the Holy Spirit took this passage in Habakkuk 2, 4, while St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing the book of Romans, and Paul was speaking about the power of the gospel to change lives. And the Holy Spirit moved Paul to incorporate this verse in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is. The gospel is the power, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, and I've got that circled, man, is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last And then the quote from the book of Habakkuk, just as it is written, where? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by his faith. And I quote Habakkuk 2, 4. It says, see, he is puffed up, meaning the nation of Babylon. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. And by the Spirit's guidance, the apostle Paul picked up in that whole deal. He's talking about a righteousness that comes from God. It's a God-given righteousness that we need if we are ever going, you, you have to, I have to be completely righteous to get into heaven. And I can't be righteous in my own strength. It has to be a righteousness that God gives us if we're ever going to be acceptable before God the Father in heaven. A righteousness from God, a gift, no good work that you can earn. I mean, you could be a Mother Teresa and go to India and see all these people laying in the alleys in Calcutta and all around India. And they're starving. They have no homes. They're dying a slow death. And nobody helps them. Why? Because that's their karma, because their Hindu religion teaches. That's your karma. And you got to live through that. You got to tough that out. You got to do it on your own. Nobody can help you. Because if anybody helps you and you don't tough out your karma on your own, you're going to come back reincarnation in another life as a slug or a turtle or something worse. No, what's worse than a slug? I have no idea. So nobody helps them. Nobody helps them. But you do you see those people, your heart goes out to them, and you help them, you clean their wounds, you feed them, you give them a life. But you see that's still your own righteousness. That's not a righteousness from God. And folks, you've got to have a righteousness that comes, Romans 1.17, from God. And so what gives you that righteousness? What makes you acceptable to God the Father for heaven? And that's Romans 1.17, for in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. How do you get it? A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or if you have a King James, from faith to faith. And then Habakkuk, just as as it is written, and, and the Holy Spirit moves Paul to go back into the Old Testament to pick out this single passage, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Centuries later... A Roman Catholic monk, a virtual nobody, living in isolation in a monastery in Germany, reads that quote from Habakkuk 2.4. The year is about 1520. And because he read that passage in Habakkuk 2.4, well quoted in Romans 1.17, the world changed forever. Martin Luther had no peace with God. His sins troubled him so much. He had no sense of being righteous, which means in a right relationship with God. He tried to do religion to save his soul and bring him peace. He went to matins every morning and vespers every evening. He went to confession every day. He had no peace. He even went to Rome and climbed up the steps of a monument. And on top of this monument, there was a statue of a saint. And the Roman church told him, if you go up using only your elbows and your knees and you bleed a whole lot and you can get to the whole lot, you know, just tearing tearing the flesh apart and your elbows and knees, you crawl up on your elbows and knees. If you get to the top and you can kiss the big toe of this saint, then you will have peace. That's what the Roman church told him. So he tried that. He had no peace. And what happened is the church had buried the Bible. In the the, the 1500s, nobody had Bibles. In the late 1400s, 1500s, the church had buried it. You believe what the priest told you. I mean, if the priest said frogs are orange, it says it right here in the Bible, you'd look at an ugly frog and say, Look, the ugly orange frog. Now, yeah, that's the way it was. The Bible was all in Latin then. Nobody knew Latin, but Martin Luther did. And he opened his Bible. He began reading, and his reading took him to Romans 1, 16, and 17. And he read Romans 1, 17, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And Luther all of a sudden says, How do I get this righteousness from God? And then he reads the next part, By faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ not by what you do, from first to last, from beginning to end. And just as it is written, and he goes back to Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. And Luther wrote, I read that passage in Habakkuk and the cloud lifted. Then he found every passage in the Bible about faith and grace, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and, and he had a new life. And through God-created circumstances, Martin Luther confronted the entire Roman church, which was just about along with the Greek church, the only church on earth at that time. I mean, he took on the whole system because of that one passage. He translated the Latin Bible into into the um, German language, which was the language of the Roman Empire at that time, easy to read language of the day. And like we used to say, that was all she wrote, because now people had the Bible. Now people had the truth. And the Roman church couldn't control them anymore with lies. And see, it changed the whole world because today, because of that Reformation, we have that truth. Because of that one passage, that one passage, we have that truth. Now, just a few thoughts on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I mean, I, I, I look at the power of one, one verse in the Bible to change the whole world. The power of one verse to change the whole world. Habakkuk 2.4. I mean, you may be dealing with a lot. And you know, I, I, I think to myself, how, how many of you honestly knew Habakkuk was in the Bible? How many of you honestly in the last six years have read, in Habakkuk, have read Habakkuk? But most people don't. And here it is. I mean, there's little book, three chapters, one verse. Do you understand that God the Father by the Holy Spirit, as you're going through the garbage in your life, could take one simple passage in your Bible reading and impress on your heart from that one simple passage what God wants you to understand and the direction he wants you to go. But that first means, I mean, I mean, you're, you're going through all this stuff. When is all this stuff going to end? Are you into the word of God? Do you read this thing on a daily basis every single day? you, know, you, you how, how, how is this going to work out? How, it, it, you know what? It's right in here. And God can use one passage. One! He changed the whole world through one passage. He can change your life through one simple passage in the Bible, but that means you have to read your Bible. See, I mean, you're praying for that answer to this difficult situation It's right here. See, that is the power of the Word of God, man. I hope that's coming through. Here's another thought in Habakkuk 2.4. Do you have a righteousness? And that is a right relationship with the Father. By faith, do you have the righteousness that comes from God? See, one sin, people don't like to think like this, but one sin means separation from God forever for eternity. Oh, but that's not fair. One sin. God is a holy God, and one sin could do that. And the only way out of that mess is you have someone who represented you, Jesus Christ, who never sinned who lived the perfect life that we needed to live and that we couldn't. And he died the death that we deserve to die. And when you surrender to that and accept that and quit telling God, I'm, I'm good enough to get into heaven, see? When you surrender to that, Jesus' righteousness, his rightness with God the Father becomes yours. That is the righteousness from God that Romans 1.17 speaks about. Do you understand what you could have when you trust in Jesus Christ and what you won't have if you don't. And if you've given your life to Christ, this is for believers. If you've given your life to Christ, surrendered to that, and you know you're going to heaven, think about your prayer time. Is that number one? in your prayer life? Do you thank God first and foremost in your prayer life? Oh, thank you, God, for food. Thank you, God, for clothing. Thank you, God, for a nice car. Thank you, God, for all this stuff. Thank you. We have a job in this economy. All that would be meaningless if you were going to hell. Do you thank God that he gave you that righteousness from God in Jesus Christ? Last thought in Habakkuk 2.4, and I'm looking now at Habakkuk, not Romans 1. See, that's the second half, but the righteous will live by faith. The the second half of one verse in the Bible. I mean, just look how powerful that is, but look at the whole verse. See, he, meaning Babylon, the nation that was going to come and discipline the Jews, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous, totally different, shall live by faith all that passage is saying is these babylonians that are coming over on our nation man they're arrogant they're proud they trust their horses they trust their chariots they trust their weapons but we are different the righteous shall live by his faith we trust god that's all it's saying we're not arrogant we trust the lord for victory i mean what the passage is saying is this we as believers in jesus christ are so different from the unsaved world we got to be different they're puffed up we're not anyway you're the christian I need to ask, are you different? Has anyone ever had to remind you about what's right and what's wrong? And they may not even have the truth in their hearts and they may not even know Jesus Christ and they remind you of what's right and what's wrong. I mean, just think back for a minute. Maybe you said something and it wasn't foul. I thought back to a couple situations in my life. It wasn't foul language, not dirty talk or something like that. It was just kind of nasty, kind of insensitive, kind of critical. And somebody, not a believer, just looked at you and said, what are you about? Listen, are you continually aware that you represent Jesus Christ and you represent the whole Christian movement? You represent all of Christianity. Are you aware of that? I mean, you need to think back. So do I. You need to think back times in your life when something came out of your mouth and somebody looked at you and said, man, what are they about? You're not even believers, see. And you're talking about your faith and your church and all this stuff. Be especially aware of how you come across and remember who and what you're representing. We are building up to words in Habakkuk chapter 3. And when we get to that, it's even hard for me to read these things. I get so pumped up. I mean, they are perhaps, almost, not quite, but some of the best words in God's holy word. They motivate me to stand for my faith, to deny myself. These words at the end of chapter three enabled me to handle life circumstances like few words in scripture. And again, we're going to get to them very shortly. We're going to look at chapter three now. And chapter three, folks, is mostly poetry. I got to tell you that. What Habakkuk is saying in, in Habakkuk chapter three is this. He says, Lord, I, I know the Babylonians are coming. You said they would come and overrun our land and you don't lie I accept that. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It will happen. They will come. And really what he's saying in chapter three is, I accept it and I will live through it to the glory of God. That is the essence of chapter three. I know this bad stuff is coming. And I accept it and I will live through it to the glory of God. What Habakkuk just did is make a choice to rejoice, didn't he? Just look at chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to see he's remembering chapter chapter 3 of Habakkuk. It says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. And then verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And then he says, renew them when? In our day. Make them known. And so Habakkuk is remembering, and you're going to read the rest of chapter 3, and it's all poetry. It's kind of difficult to read, to be real honest with you. But it's all poetry, and Habakkuk is focusing on two things that happened in the past. One, the great exodus from Egypt. You delivered my people from Egypt. Now do the same thing for us now. Deliver us. You delivered these people from Badajana. You parted the waters of the Red Sea. And then how the people marched in the desert for 40 years to the Jordan River, And there they are at the bank of the Jordan River. Across the Jordan River is the promised land. It's the spring of the year, and the river is raging. It's white water, if there ever was white water. And God says to the Jews, he says, walk into that white water. And I promise you, I guarantee you, I'll I'll, I'll stop the water somewhere up the river. And they did, and God did. And that's what Habakkuk is remembering, see? So chapter three is all about. And again, it's written in poetic form. And then Habakkuk says, at the very end of chapter, verse two of chapter three, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. This is key. He says, renew all these things you did in our day, in our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. And folks, that is one great prayer. That is one great prayer. Pray, Pray that prayer. I saw that and I said, man, I just can't let that verse pass. Please pray that. Israel complained. They rebelled. They sinned. This is what Habakkuk is saying. And and you dealt mercifully with them. And you mercifully delivered them. Habakkuk is saying, mercifully deliver us. And we need to say, as you delivered them, God, I'm a fallen sinner too. I rebel. I complain. I do all the same things Israel did. Have mercy on me. And then say, Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but have mercy on me and deliver me like you did for the Jews. Folks, that is one great prayer. You need to pray like that. I need to pray like that. And and we got to watch ourselves that we just don't mouth words. I mean, let them come. God, deliver me like you delivered them. Let them come from a heart that's broken over sin, that understands that Jesus Christ has already paid for that sin. And you really want that rightness with him. In wrath, in the, in the wrath I deserve, oh Lord, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, be merciful to me. You got to pray that. And so Habakkuk remembered how we forget. And when you forget what God's done, I'll tell you, you're going to worry a lot. You're going to be defeated before you begin. And so I tried to remember certain things in my life. I was a goof off in high school. And I remember how I um, made kind of a, a, a last minute decision to go into the ministry. And I got accepted by a college in Texas, much to my surprise, to be real honest, because I was a goof off. And I was facing three languages, Greek, Latin, and German, with Hebrew down the road. And I was taking 22 credit hours a semester. And I was no student. I mean, this is going to be a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic life change for me. I had to become a student. But here's the deal. I was 18 years old, see, and I didn't know a lot of theology then. I just knew I had a pretty great God and he could do pretty much anything. You know, that's what I knew. And I, I often think about that when I look at the apostle John in the book of first John chapter two, verse 14, he says, I write to you young men. I'm quoting first John two, 14. He says, I write to you young men, young men, because you're strong and you want to overcome the world. The older we get, <laughs> the less we want to overcome the world. See, and I'm thinking to myself and thinking way back then, yeah, man, that fits. That really fits because at that age, 18 years old, I looked at all oh, that was ahead of me. And I said, yeah, but I can do this through His grace, only through His grace. God can pull this whole deal off. And um, it happened. I made it through eight years only by God's grace. See, only by God's grace. I, I, I reflect back on my life, folks, and I remember that stuff. I just remember that stuff. You always remember. Chapter three of Habakkuk in God's word teaches us to remember how God's worked in our lives and to trust him. I say it again. He says, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Oh Lord, renew in our day, in our time, make them known. See? So you ask yourself, what are you living through right now? You're persevering, aren't you? You're persevering through something. Don't you see how God gives you experiences in life? for you to build on. So you trust him and see trust glorifies God. It glorifies God. You know, you know what glorifies God when you say he's going to work this out. He always has (laughs) I don't know how I ever say that. He's going to work this out, man. I just, I'm going through this mess, but he, I I know, I, do you know how you're glorifying God when you say this? I'm going through this mess, man, but he's going to work it out. How? I don't know. He's just God. See? said <laughs> He's God. I mean, he's God. That glorifies God, man. I'll tell you. Maybe a good thing to do today would be to relive some times in your life that, that kind of took you to the limit and, and, and preach at yourself got to learn to preach at yourself, man. Don't let me preach at you all the time. Preach at yourself and say, my God is faithful, man. My God has always been faithful and always will be faithful. Okay. We want to wind this series up by looking at these words that the Holy Spirit inspired Habakkuk to write. And they are some of the best. These are just, oh, I don't know if this is pure gospel how to get to heaven they just they just do something inside me that very few bible passages do and and when we read these words you'll see why um, the book of Habakkuk is is one of my favorite books in the bible it's right there near the top I'd say it's got to be one two or three I mean you guys know the situation God just told Habakkuk he would refine Israel by sending an evil nation he'd send Babylon see to plunder it and take the people captive that was all chapter one And Habakkuk protests. He says, you know, your eyes are too holy to behold evil. In chapter 2 and 3, God tells him that once he accomplished his purpose and brought his people Israel back to the center of his will, he and he would accomplish that purpose through suffering at the hands of the Babylonians. He would then destroy this enemy army and give the people back their land. So the enemy army had to come first. They had to let the refining process go on while the enemy army conquered them, decimated them, took them back to Babylon. And when that whole refining process was over, God says, I will take care of those dudes and I'll give you guys back your land. Now, if you look at Habakkuk 3.16, he's waiting for this. He says in 3.16, I heard... And my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. What's coming? Babylon's coming, man. The sentries are saying, here they come. Babylon's coming. I heard in my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on this nation that's invading us. What's he saying? He says, I got to go through this whole deal. I got to go through it. But I will be waiting for God to make good on his promise. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on that nation invading us. And I'm waiting for God to make good on his promise. This prophet Habakkuk has just, just dealt with reality. And that's why this is so precious to me. He has just dealt with reality. He said, this will happen. He said, I will wait for you to do what you need to do to make us what you want us to be. Now, just apply that to yourself. I will wait for you and I will wait patiently for you to go through this process that our nation goes through to make us or individualize it to make me what you want us or me to be. See, what he didn't do is sweep reality under the carpet. He faced a trust in God. Habakkuk did not say this isn't happening. Don't say this isn't happening. Don't sweep it under the rug. I mean, face it. Our marriage is in trouble. You don't want to believe it, but say it. Our marriage is in trouble. I mean, if it is in trouble, face it. Or I really am sick, and I really do have to change the way I eat. And there are going to be some major life changes in my life. you got to face it. Don't sweep it under the rug, as they say. Uh, There really are only a few jobs in my field And there's 2,000 applicants for every job. And I really am going to have to change the way I do things and look for a job in another field, something I'm not used to, something where I'm uncomfortable, see? I mean, this word of God tells us to face what's happening. That's what it says. To face what's happening in confident faith. And now these words. If you don't have a Bible, go home and draw, draw a circle or a box around these words, 17 and 18. He knows all this is coming, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. All this is gone. Look at that. Yet, and I have that yet circled in yellow underlined, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. you hear what he's saying? I will be joyful in God my Savior. I mean, he just said the foreign armies are going to overrun this land, and so the fig trees aren't going to produce any figs. The grain fields aren't going to produce grain. There's going to be no cattle in the stalls, no olive oil, which is a nicety. There's going to be no sheep in the pen. All that is familiar and gave me security, that is all gone. Now his choice to rejoice, mark that yet, yet with all that gone, everything that gives me security, with all that gone, I will rejoice in what? Okay, you tell me, I will rejoice in the Lord. Take everything I have, take it all away, nothing left, zero, zilch, I will rejoice in the Lord. You've heard this a lot, and we need to be so aware of this. We may not be able to um, help what happens to us, but you can choose your response. That's the big deal. You can choose your response. And that's exactly what Habakkuk just did. I mean, you can choose to get vengeance. You can do that. You can choose to withdraw and retreat from life. You can choose to brood and feel sorry for yourself. You can choose to blame God and think, oh, I don't deserve this. I mean, you can choose those kind of responses. Or I can say, see, you can choose your response. Or I can say, this happened. Life goes on. There's a big life change here. I'm upset yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior, see. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.